You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. How many of you have heard this story before? Joseph, Joseph's coat? Okay, many, many of you, some of you. Uh, it's, a, it's a popular story. When I was a little kid, uh, the, the big deal was the coat. I even did a, a play where I got to wear the, the colorful coat. It was just a bathrobe, but it was okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, there was a, uh, uh, another play that was done. It was on Broadway. It was called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dream, Dream, Dream Coat. Yes, I said that right. Has anybody seen that before? Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. Here's the coat from that play. There it is. It's really nice. Uh, I just thought I'd show it to you. Um, you know, so here's the thing, right? This is, this is, you know, they've done a play and this is the coat and, and there's so much emphasis put on Joseph and his amazing coat. And the, the thing I love most about our retold series that we're in, the thing I love most is that what we start to realize is that it's not about this big thing that we learned when we were kids. It's not about the coat, right? It's not about the whale. It's not about the hair. It's not about the leprosy. It's not about the giant, right? There's something bigger. There's something that's, that's stronger, that's more redeeming behind it. And we have to sort of get through what we learned as kids to get there. And so that's what I want to do with Joseph today, because behind the coat, once we get past the coat, what we end up getting to is something that's actually pretty incredible. And we see God redeeming people in a myriad of ways, ways that I think um, can speak to us today. This is the longest story ever, okay? So I need you guys to follow with me on this really long story because when we finish this long story, we're going to find out that it's going to redeem us in some pretty cool ways, just like Joseph and his brothers were redeemed. All right, so can you follow along with me on this one? Uh, all right, we're going to start at Genesis chapter 37. If you have your Bible apps, you can go ahead and, and take those out. We're going to go from Genesis 37 all the way to 50, okay? We're going to go the whole way, and I'm going to read every single verse, okay? No, I won't. It's okay. Um, so follow, follow along if you can. I'm actually going to start not necessarily with Joseph. I'm going to start with Joseph's, fa- Joseph's father, Jacob, because it's important to know about Jacob in order to get to Joseph, okay? Jacob... Uh, when he's young, is, is, the, is the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham. So he comes from this line that, that God has, has chosen to be the line that a great nation will be, will be built from. And so Jacob uh, takes his brother's birthright. Now, the birthright is an inheritance. And he tricks his brother out of the inheritance. And so obviously his brother is very upset by this. And so Jacob has to leave. And he goes and he runs away and he leaves. And as he goes and he runs away and he leaves, he gets into a wrestling match with someone. Okay, starts fighting somebody. Now, who he's fighting turns out to be an angel of God. How many of you have been in a fight with an angel of God? Okay, so he fights with an angel of God. And, uh, and this angel of God, he's fighting with him. And finally, Jacob says, you know what? I want you to bless me. I want you to bless me. And the angel of God, or God speaking through this angel, says, okay, I will bless you. And so, and so uh, he's blessed. And, and how is he blessed? He is blessed that this angel strikes or touches his hip. And his hip becomes disconnected, and so Jacob walks with a limp for the rest of his life. And then this, this, this God, this angel of God says, you are going to be called Israel, and I'm going to build a mighty nation from you. Now, you know what it, Israel literally translates into? It literally translates into wrestles with God. I'm going to build a mighty nation, a nation of justice, a nation of peace and power, and a nation that Jesus is going to come from, and we're going to call this nation wrestles with God. That should get us somewhere. That should get us going on a certain track. 
All right, so Jacob now has the promise of becoming a new nation. And he's becoming this nation, and he finds this, the woman of his dreams, this woman, Rachel, and he sees her, and he asks uh, her father if he can marry her. And he says, sure, as long as you work for me for seven years. So Jacob gets to work for seven years, okay? And on the wedding day, uh, Jacob goes to bed his new wife. And they, she comes up, and she's got the veil, and he lifts up the veil, and oh my gosh, it's not Rachel at all. He has married Leah, her sister, really messed up. Are we following along? You with me? Good, good. So he marries Leah, her sister, and, uh, and he goes back and he says, hey, that's not, you know, this isn't uh, uh, Rachel. And he goes, I know, if, if you want to marry Rachel, you can. You just have to work another few years. Okay, so, all right, he's married to Leah. And then finally he gets to marry Rachel. Okay, so Rachel's the love of his life, the one that he desires more than anything. He has four kids with Leah, but Rachel is barren. He cannot have any kids with Rachel. So what does Rachel say? <clears throat> she says, hey, I want, you to, uh, I want you to marry my servant. And when you marry my servant, uh, you have kids with her, and I'll treat those kids as my own. Okay? And so Jacob goes, yeah, it sounds like a good plan. So he marries <laughs> the, the servant. Okay? He marries the servant. So now he's got three wives. We're up to three wives. Okay? And sure enough, he has kids with her. And, uh, raises, and Rachel raises those kids as her own. But Leah, you know, there's sibling rivalry happening. So Leah's like, I don't want to be outdone. So she says, Jacob, you can marry my servant too. And Jacob goes, fine, I'll do it. And so he does it, and he marries her servant, and they have more kids. And so, uh, you, know, you know, the sibling rivalry thing gets a little out of hand. So if we're caught up, he's got four, four wives, okay? All right. Um, so finally, after years and years, Jacob is an old man. And the woman that Jacob loves more than any other, Rachel, is barren until one day she conceives a child and this child is born. And finally, the love of his life has a child. And who is this child? What is this child's name? Joseph. Now do we see why Joseph is the favorite. Now do we see why Joseph is the one that gets this coat. That's why it says in Scripture, it says um, uh, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in old age, and so he made an ornate robe for him. So now we sort of get an understanding or an idea of why Joseph is this chosen child, so to speak. And this robe isn't just a colorful robe. It's not like uh, you know going down to Burlington Coat Factory. It's a lot different. It means that, um, that you get the inheritance. It means that you are chosen. And so even though in the whole scheme of things, uh, in the whole scheme of things, uh, Jacob has 12 children who will become the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph is the 11th of the 12 children. He's still the chosen one because he's the firstborn of Rachel, okay? So he gets the inheritance. So he gets the, he's going to get the money. He gets the robe. And the robe is long sleeve, which is, has incredible significance. Uh, because in those days, when you worked, when you were out in the fields, you wore short sleeve robes. Short sleeve robes wouldn't get caught on brambles. They wouldn't get caught in livestock. Uh, they helped you to work better. But a long sleeve robe meant that you were not someone who worked, or at least you didn't work hard. You might do some things, but you were more of an elite class. You were, you were over here and other people were over there. And so what we have is we have Joseph, who is now the chosen one, who doesn't have to work at all while his other 11 brothers have to work. And we also, uh, Scripture also tells us that Joseph gives false reports of his brothers, which means he's lying about his brothers. He is a tattletale. What we have here is a spoiled trust fund kid. That's what he has become, okay? Do we get this? We feel this. Okay, so that's who he is, this spoiled trust fund kid, and he goes out. Uh, and, and he goes into the fields while his brothers are working. And he says uh, to his brothers, hey guys, I had this dream. And, uh, and 
the dream was that you had sheaths of wheat, and I had a sheath of wheat, and my sheath of wheat was bigger than your sheath of wheat, and, and all of your sheath of wheat started bowing down to my sheath of, sheath of wheat. Now, remember, he doesn't work. He's wearing his long sleeve robe. He's the chosen one. Probably, most likely, these brothers were working with sheaths of wheat at the time. I can't even say that. And they were working with them at the time. So how do you, you know, I, what do you think of your brother? Scripture tells us that um, he was 17 years old. And usually when Scripture gives us an age, it gives us an age because they want us to know what this person is like. They want us to know their character. So at 17 and you're chosen, they probably feel the way about their brother that we think. Naive. You know, a brat. Spoiled. Unaware. So that's what they're thinking about their brother right now. He comes out again because he's completely unaware. And he says, hey, brothers, i got to tell you about another dream that I had. Here's another dream that I had. You were all bowing down to me. And then the sun and the moon and the stars were bowing down to me. And our parents were bowing down to me. And his brothers say this. It says in Scripture, his brothers said, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all of the more because, his, because of his dream and what he had said. Jacob is not the father of the year, will never be. And so Jacob, not knowing that any of this is going on, sends his son out to the most remote of the fields to check on his brothers. Joseph, go check on your brothers because they love you and nothing's going to happen to you. Right? That's sort of how this story plays itself out. And so they go out there, and this is what the brothers say when they see Joseph a long way off. They say, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. And so they go out there, and they don't end up killing him. They throw him into the cistern, um, but then they end up selling him to some Ishmaelites who then take him to Egypt, and he becomes a slave in Egypt. Okay, Egypt is the big superpower at the time. They're led by a pharaoh, and he uh, starts to mature. He starts to get smarter. He starts to become more aware of what's going on. That's what will happen when, when uh, you know, tragedy strikes, when there's difficulty, right? You start to become more aware. You start to grow up a little bit. And so he does, and he ends up taking over the household of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is an Egyptian official. And he does so well for Potiphar that Potiphar entrusts him with everything in his household and all the people in his household. And this also gets the attention of Potiphar's wife, who tries to seduce Joseph, because Joseph is not only chosen, he's also very good looking. And so she tries to seduce him, and as she tries to seduce him, Joseph says, no way, because he's good. And she frames him. In a little bit of irony in this story, she takes a robe of his and puts it in her room and says, look, here's Joseph's robe. He tried to sleep with me. He tried to rape me. And they throw Joseph in prison. Okay, are we following along? This feels a little bit like a movie, doesn't it? Like a, there's like a bunch of subplots and everything else, right? The Bible's way more interesting than you guys think. I know it. Keep reading. <laughs> anyway, let's keep going, okay? So what happens next? Joseph's in prison. He gets joined in prison by two other people, a servant and a baker. Okay, they, they work for the Pharaoh who's in charge of Egypt. And they say, hey, we're having these dreams. Can you interpret them for us, Joseph? And Joseph goes, I can. Servant, in three days, you're going to be let out of prison and you're going to get back in the good graces of the Pharaoh. And sure enough, three days later, the servant is let out and is back in the good graces of the Pharaoh. And then the baker goes, hey, interpret my dream. And Joseph goes, okay, uh, in three days, you're going to be let out, but you're going to be beheaded. You're going to be killed. And sure enough, three days later, the baker's let out, but he's killed. He's beheaded. Okay, so Joseph sits in jail. And meanwhile, the Pharaoh is having dreams of his own. I feel like this is like, you know, just 
TV show, just moving from scene to scene to scene. The Pharaoh is having dreams of his own, and nobody can interpret these dreams. And so finally, this servant goes, you know what? There was somebody in prison that was able to interpret dreams for me. I think they can interpret dreams for you too. And so Joseph comes to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh says, interpret my dream, which Joseph does. He says, you are going to have seven years of feast, and then you're going to have seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh goes, oh my goodness, what should we do? And Joseph, being shrewd, says, hey, I can help with this. And so what Joseph does is he commandeers all of the food in Egypt. He basically creates a militarized state for the Pharaoh. That's smart thinking, really, if you want to keep in the Pharaoh's good graces. And he stores up all this food, and sure enough, there's seven years of famine, and in the seven years of famine, Egypt has enough to eat. They are okay. All right, now I'm getting to the last part. Here we go. Israel is hungry. They're also in famine. And so uh, Jacob says to uh, uh, all of his sons, who are Joseph's brothers, go to Egypt to get food. They'll feed us there. And so all the brothers go, and they all run into Jacob. Jacob recognizes them right away, but the brothers don't know it's him. Now stay with me for one second. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that you have been thrown in prison? In prison, you've been made a slave. Can you imagine that you've been transferred to a bunch of different places and households because your brothers sold you? What would you think about when you were up at night? How am I going to get revenge on my brothers? What would happen if I ever saw my brothers again? What would I do to them? You have a lot of time to think about that, right? You think of some pretty good revenge, wouldn't you? You know what Joseph does? He sees them, and he enacts his revenge. He goes, you're spies. That's some boring revenge right there. You are spies. That's all he says. And then he says, prove to me you're not spies by going back and getting, my, and getting your youngest brother, his youngest brother. And so they go back. They get the youngest brother. They bring him back. And then Joseph half-heartedly again tries to plot revenge. He plants a silver bowl in one of their uh, bags and says, hey, come back. You stole that bowl and, and really cannot even go through with it. He can't even go through with this, this idea of revenge. And instead, he hugs his brothers. He loves his brothers. He tells his brothers that it's Joseph and, and, and finds out that they're okay and, and asks that the family would come and move and be with him and live in prosperity. That's what happens. And so Joseph's father says this uh, to Joseph. He says, Joseph, ask, uh, I ask you to forgive your brothers for the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. And Joseph weeps when he reads this, and his brothers throw themselves down in front of him and say, we are your slaves. There we are. Many years later, Joseph's dream, dream comes to fruition. The brothers bow down, saying, we are your slaves. And this is how Joseph ends it. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. And that is the story of Joseph. That's how Joseph ends. Wow. Okay, there's a lot there. Right? And like I keep telling you in this retold series, you need to go back and read this again because there's about 13 different things we could pull from this scripture. There's a lot going on. But what I want to do today is I want to focus in and I want to have you guys take a look at Joseph's timeline. Okay, that's what I want you to do. Let's take a look at it real quick. At 17, we know at 17, Joseph is chosen. So he's chosen for power. He's chosen for success. He's chosen for prosperity. He's chosen to be blessed by God at 17. 
After that, he gets sold into slavery. Uh, we know that uh, he has this issue with Potiphar and Potiphar's wife. And then what we find out from Scripture is that Joseph most likely was in prison for somewhere around 11 years. Okay, it wasn't just a few months, it was like 11 years. And we find out that it was probably a couple years after he interpreted the dreams for um, the, the servant that he actually made his way to the Pharaoh. So think about this, 17, he was promised a blessing. It's now been years later, he's been in jail. He now is with the Pharaoh. And finally, okay, after seven years of famine and seven years of feast, after all of it, Joseph finally sees his brothers bow to him, which signifies his blessing. It signifies his power. So if we were to add up all this time, we can say that roughly somewhere um, in this whole story, that roughly, uh, it was what, 20, 20 something years, 25 years before Joseph actually sees his blessing, his promise come to fruition. About 25 years before something that Joseph says he's supposed to get actually comes. The reason I bring this up is because at this church, I say I've talked to many of you, and, and myself included, this is something I struggle with dearly. There are many of us here, when I talk to you, you say things like, um, and I say things like, hey, um, it shouldn't be this way. Really, this shouldn't feel the way it feels, or this shouldn't look the way it looks, or I should be doing this, or I should have been doing that, or at this stage of my life, this is where I should be. I hear that often, and what I hear is I hear disappointment. I hear disappointment. I hear, you know, I don't think God's doing anything for me. I'm going to go ahead and make a move on my own. I'm going to go ahead and move out of this, this city, or I'm going to go ahead and, and switch jobs because I should have been doing this thing, but I'm not, and, and I don't really know what's going on, and God's not there, and I'm angry, and I hear that all the time. I say it myself all the time. And I think if I've learned one thing from this Joseph story, I've learned that God's timeline is not our timeline. And our timeline is definitely not God's timeline. In fact, if I were to go even further, I would say there are blessings that God promises us. I would say there are plenty of blessings that God promises us. And I would dare say that those blessings, the blessings that we get, the prosperity that we get, that success that we get can only come in seasons of suffering. I'm here today to present the anti-prosperity gospel. I believe that, though. I believe that they only come through seasons of suffering. You know, so those times where we're sitting there, we're going, okay, well, I don't have a job, and, and I'm having troubles with my significant other, or I've been dating a ton, and I don't have any significant other, or things aren't happening the way they should in my apartment, and I probably need to move out, or I'm really, really sick, like, I'm scared, I don't know what to do, and I'm too young, this shouldn't be happening, or I've gone through this traumatic experience, and I'm sick and tired of reliving it over and over and over again, this, I'm done with this, God, where's the blessing, where is it, and we're angry, and there's a righteous anger. It's a good anger. But what do we do with that anger? Where do we take that anger? Where do we go with that anger? In Memphis, Tennessee, at the Lorraine Motel in room 306, there's a plaque on the door. This is what the plaque reads. Here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. That's the room in which Martin Luther King Jr. was shot and killed, the Rain Motel, and that's what it says on the door where he was killed. And we come to find out after the fact that he was killed by a man 
who often said he should be in a certain stage of life. He was killed by a man who often said that he should be in a place of power, but has no power. He should be in a place where he's more successful, but he wasn't successful. And his anger turned from righteousness to vengeance, to destructive, to festering, to a place where he said that there is a people group that doesn't deserve unity. It's I who deserve that. And there's a people group who don't deserve a blessing because it's I who deserve that. And it ends up and it manifests itself in a death. It manifests itself in a destruction of a dream. And to this day, it still feels somewhat like a destruction of a dream. To this day, we still have made tons and tons of progress, but it doesn't feel like this dream has quite yet been realized. And it's in the midst of this dream that I feel like God still is at work. God is still pushing because God's going, yes, but it's on my timeline. And so I am bringing protest, and I am bringing movement, and I am bringing unity. I am bringing blessing. It's going to come on my time. And it's going to come after a season of suffering because our dreams and goals are manifested, but they only happen in seasons of suffering. They only happen in seasons of suffering. This is absolutely in God's DNA. This is absolutely who God is. God says, I'm going to build a strong and mighty nation. It's called the nation of Israel, which means it's called the nation of wrestles with God. God wants us to wrestle. God wants us to say, hey, what's going on? What are you doing? What's happening here? I don't see you anymore. God brings about this mighty nation through the 12 tribes of Israel, through the 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob that came out of illicit affairs, out of multiple marriages, out of uh, you know, a woman who is barren, out of deceit, out of lies. And God says, yes, on all those things, those crazy things, that's where I build my nation because you got to go through some of those seasons in order to get to the good stuff. God says to Joseph, Joseph, you will have a time where you are going to save a nation. You're going to save people, but it's going to take you 25 years and you're going to be in jail for a lot of that time. God's timeline is not our timeline. And the truth is we have blessing. The truth is we have God's promise. The truth is it might come after a season of suffering. That's the truth. So what do we do with that? You know, the one thing I want us to do today, I want, to leave, I want us to leave here with perspective, okay? That's what I want us to do. Let's leave with perspective today. Because I know when I'm in these periods, when I'm in these trials, when I'm in these times, uh, I lose perspective. God, you're not around. I'm angry. Oh, I need to go, you know, I don't know. I need to go do something else or figure out exactly what this should look like. And, and I want to do it on my own and because God's not really there. That's how I feel. And, and I want perspective for all of us. And so a few weeks back, my older daughter, Asha, who's seven, uh, asked me, she said, Daddy, can I ride my bike? Uh, and I said, Asha, uh, you can't ride your bike because you're seven and we live in New York City and I, I'm not going to go outside with you. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And so she said to me, she goes, Daddy, uh, but I really want to ride my bike and I promise I'll just ride it on the sidewalk and I promise I'll just ride it on the block by the apartment. And I said, okay, you promise? And she goes, yeah. So she she takes her helmet, puts it on, goes out with her bike, and sure enough, she starts riding back and forth on the sidewalk by our apartment. And so what I do is I get up and I just stand by the window. I'm standing by the window, and I'm watching her, right? I'm just walk, watching her to make sure she doesn't go into the street on one side. And the other side, the concrete is a little weird, and I'm watching to make sure she doesn't fall on the weird concrete. And, um, and I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, like, Asha might fall. And if she does, it's okay, because if she falls, I can get out there pretty quickly. And I can get out there and I can, you know, do whatever I need to do. I can help her up. I can, you know, put Band-Aids on. I can do all the rest. Um, 
she'll be okay. She's okay. I know she's okay because I'm here watching her. And here's the beauty of the whole thing. The entire time Asha was riding back and forth on her bike, she had no clue I was there. None. And I wonder, when we're saying should and shouldn't and are frustrated and are disappointed, if there's not a God saying there is blessing and promise, I'm just here at the window waiting to give it to you. I'm here at the window waiting to give you this thing. It's my timeline. And sure, that feels frustrating. And sure, that, that feels disappointing because, listen, we want this and we want this now. This is New York, right? But there's a God who's saying, yeah, you might not feel me. You might not think I'm there. We want epiphany. We want God to be this light that comes and shines down. And, oh, angels. And we want to wrestle with, with God because we at least will know he's there, right? But it's not epiphany. It's God on the other side of the window working, planning. It's God with us. It's Emmanuel. That's what it is. And so perspective, perspective to know that, that when we feel like things aren't going the way that we need them to go and, and, and perspective when all the shoulds and shouldn'ts add up and the disappointment is too much to bear and everything else, that there is a God who is saying, you are chosen. Your name is wrestles with God. I'm going to build peace and I'm going to bring justice and I'm going to bring the character of Jesus through you. It just might take a while. Just might take a while. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that uh, you've chosen us, um, that you've called us to be a blessing, that you've called us uh, into blessing, that you've called to give us blessing. And God, help us to know that that is true, to be reminded that that is true. God, thank you for the waiting. Help us to be content in the waiting as we know it brings character as we know it brings growth, as we know it brings wisdom. Help us to see those gifts in the midst of the shoulds and the should nots. Lord, we are grateful for the fact that every time we're not content, your grace and mercy are big enough to pick us back up. I pray all this in your name. Amen.